Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we are reviewing the definitive book of body language by Barbara Pease and Alan Pease. Man, this is a great book on body language. It's a very wide. They talk about a whole bunch of different aspects of body language. And it's something that we sort of intuitively feel. We know if someone's body is saying something different to what they're vocally saying. Uh, but this really is an eye-opener. You're going to look at situations very differently, I think, after reading this book. Definitely. There's been some research that shows a lot, uh, what contributes to most of our communication. And what the research said was it was only 7% was verbal, 38% was vocal, and 55% was nonverbal. So if you've ever been sitting there speaking to someone and they've said something, but just intuitively you think they're full of shit, mm. it's because 93% of their communication isn't just right. So it's probably things you're taking on and understanding uh, subconsciously. But I mean, reading a book like this, you can really become conscious of some of the gestures that you can see out there that shows what really people are communicating other than just words. Yeah, we're really not uh, conscious of what our body is doing in most cases. We're generally thinking of what we're going to say and we don't think of how we're going to say it, which is the 38%. And we definitely never really think about what our body is actually saying. And sometimes it's in conflict, sometimes it's incongruence. But basically, we can look around now and see what is actually going on with people and what they're feeling. And women are better at doing this than men are. They're a lot more intuitive. They're a lot more perceptive. They look beyond the words. Men seem to get stuck in listening to the words as opposed to looking at the body and what they're actually saying. There was research that actually measured this where they had both men and women looking at a TV screen with no sound on it and then both uh, sexes had to really guess what the communication was all about and what's going on in the script. And quite amazingly, the women had 87% accuracy and the men only had 42%. So, that's over a doubling in scores. Yeah. So, men, we really suck at this intuitively understanding <laughs> exactly. of our body language, don't we? Yeah. If you were to, so, they were just looking at, they were trying to work out the mood and what was going on and what was being said with just by looking at what they were physically doing with their body. And men were pretty much useless at it. And women were able to score with 87%. And they, they said that uh, women have a lot better peripheral vision, which I thought was mm. incredible. So, that's why when blokes uh, look down to observe other parts of a woman, they generally get caught. Uh, whereas they, uh, Barbara P says that women can get away with it because they've got better peripheral vision. Mm, they don't have to look down and, and yeah. um, check it out. <laughs> Not that they... They can't, they can't do it, <laughs> I peripherally. I don't know. I'm I don't not know. A That's what Barbara P says, man. We'll, we'll take her word for it. Absolutely. So, she's got... It. She's got uh, so, we're trying to read body language. She's got three rules that you need to follow for accurate uh, reading of body language. The first one is you need to read all gestures in clusters. Yeah. So, it's like a, a word can have many different meanings and it's not until you hear that word in a sentence to get a bit of context as to what it really means. So, if somebody scratches their head... It might mean they've got an itchy head or it might mean they're lying to you. So, you've got to really work it out in clusters, not just as, a, as an isolated single gesture, one single act. You need to look at the whole chain of what's going on and put them all together mm. to work out what's You up. need two or three signs of body language to come together before you can get an accurate reading. The second rule is you need to look for congruence. So, when a person's words and body language conflict, uh, ignore what they're being said. Mm. It means they're most likely... Being full of shit. Yeah, generally the body is going to tell you more uh, 
truth than what the words will tell you. And the third rule is to read it in context. If somebody's uh, very closed up in their body language, they're hugging their body, they've got their arms crossed, they've got their legs folded, it might mean that they're closed off or it might mean it's the middle of winter and they're really cold. Mm. So you've got to really read it in context, not just looking at the, the body language, but what's happening around them as well. Quite interestingly, she says you can't really fake it, which is probably a good prelude for everything we're about to say in the book. It's really hard to fake because you can't be fully congruent when you're trying to just put on some kind of body language. Yeah, there was a big section in the book about smiling and uh, how you can tell a genuine smile from a fake smile and you really can't fake it. If you try to put a smile on, generally people are going to see through it and realize that the fake smile you're putting on is not a genuine smile. So you really can't fake a lot of this stuff. I remember last year when we were both doing stand-up comedy where we were both absolutely shitting ourselves. Uh, before we got up to deliver our performance, if you can call it that, <laughs> we both you know, put on this really positive body language like we're confident with the chest out. But... I mean, I remember speaking to our girlfriends beforehand. They could just see right through it and see we were full of shit. We were actually shitting ourselves even though we had our chest out with open body language. You can definitely tell that we were nervous as as all shit. So, the first section she talks about is hands and the power of your hands. And your hands can say a lot about what's happening. And generally, uh, because our hands are, are so far away from our brains, we really don't know what our hands are doing. Often, if they're fiddling or they're doing something, we really don't realize that we're doing it. One of the things you can communicate with your hands is openness. So, when you want to be honest, you kind of just have your hands open with your palms out as you're describing something, just showing that you're not really concealing anything and so forth. Yeah. If you ever think, if someone falsely accuses you and you say, I didn't do it, you generally put your hands back and your palms up. If you're taking an oath in court and you're telling the truth, obviously, you display your palms. If you're giving someone praise, all these times, we're going to be open, our arms are going to be open and our palms are going to be on display. The opposite to this is, you know, maybe when we're little kids, we put our hands behind our backs, or if you're closed off and you don't want to talk, you got your hands in your pockets. If your palms are ever not on display, it generally means you're closed off. So you can do a lot with your hands and communicate a lot. And obviously, one of the biggest ones with your hands is your handshakes. And uh, she has a, a pretty bloody decent uh, look at the handshake analysis and different way, different things you can communicate. Obviously, you've got dominance, submission, or equality. Yeah. So, the dominance is if basically if your palm is directly up and down, you know, like perpendicular to the ground, then that's equality. If there's ever a point where somebody is, if it's tilted and one person's uh, palm is facing down, the other person's palm is facing up, it means there's a bit of a power difference here in that the person with their palm pointing downwards is dominant. They've got their palm on top. Mm. The person tilted with their palm facing up and underneath they're, the, uh, they're in submission, they're submissive. And obviously, if you are equal kilt, then it's equality. So, there are some circumstances where you want to be seen as equal, some circumstances as dominance. I'm not sure sometimes you might want to uh, be submissive if mm. you're trying to let the other person deliberately feel more powerful than you. It sounds like a bit of a power play, a bit of a Machiavelli there, man. So, you're getting really excited, <laughs> your eyes, eyes opening them up. So, so there's, sometimes people like to try to show dominance. If, if there's someone who's trying to be the power player and when they reach out for the handshake, if they're offering you with their palm tilted downwards mm. and you're expected to come in with the hand underneath mm. uh, and there's, there, there's a few ways that uh, she says we can sort of counteract this. Yes. I, uh, good thing I, I read this because I, I was out for a family dinner. I know he's not going to listen. <laughs> <laughs> Something shouldn't be saying. He's a great guy. My mum's boyfriend though, but he, uh, when I 
catch up with him. I think he, he does a bit of power play on me. He holds a handshake longer, kind of tilts it a little bit, looking at me that Bit of extra grip length. strength as well. Yeah, so yeah a bit ne- of a crush. Of, yeah. So next time, uh, this is some good advice. So what you need to do, if they're coming down hard with the power play, one of the things you can do, you can actually put your other hand on top of theirs mm. and then twist it over either to the equal position or for you to be more dominant. Yeah, even just with the hand on top just shows that they were on top initially, but by you coming over the top with an extra hand on top, then uh, you're taking back that power. I don't know what happens if they go on top of you again. You're in, you're in a bit of strife if they bring the second hand in Need too. A re- <laughs> gets into a full wrestle zone, I reckon. <laughs> but the other, the other thing he says that normally... Well, you know, after the next family dinner. <laughs> I know he's not listening, sorry. <laughs> like it. The other thing she says is generally because we're shaking hands with our right hand, Generally, we step forward into the handshake with our right foot going forward as well. And it's, it's, that's what we naturally do. It can be a little bit uncomfortable, but if you step forward with your left foot instead and reach out with your right hand, you can actually then, if they're giving you the dominance, you can slightly step to the right and that just automatically sort of tilts the hands a little bit back towards equality. So, it's a, it's a bit of a hard one to practice, but try to practice stepping forward into a handshake with your left foot forward because that gives you a bit of room to move if you want to twist it a little bit by stepping to the right. So, if you're trying to create rapport, which I think is a probably a recommended Definitely. result yeah. in most cases, you want to have the equal handshake where you're both uh, the same kind of tilt of the hand, but also apply the same pressure you receive. Yeah. And it's going to be different between men and women, whoever you're shaking the hand, but always don't crush them, don't be weak, be equal to them and apply the same pressure. Yeah, always try to match it. You don't want to... uh be the vice grip and just crush. You also don't want to be the, the sloppy fish who doesn't give mm. any pressure. You've got to really try to be equal in terms of the tilt of the hand and also equal in terms of the pressure. There's a cool bit, uh, which I think is tough to do but important, is if you ever fuck up a handshake, uh, which I, I remember recently doing a, a friend I uh, used to live in Papua New Guinea with, and at the end when we gave the handshake, we just missed and his palm gripped my fingers and it was a very, very, very mm. weak shake by me and so I left that feeling very awkward where what we should have done was step back and say oh let's do this properly so it's a bit of an awkward thing to do in the situation if you know you do a shit handshake maybe you miss or you get the fingers or you're left hanging and then you pull your hand away and then they see that your hand was there so they try to reach out there's a lot of awkward things that can happen with a handshake so it's important to stop and try to get it right and she says that what you can do is just make it as it played off as a bit of a joke give it a smile and say hey let's try that again and it really shows that it is an important thing to you to get this right. So if you're in a business meeting and you you fuck it up or you're you know the power player, if you step back and say, oh, let's try that again, let's get this right, it makes the other person feel like they're important enough to you to get it right, to start the relationship off on an equal footing. So I think it's important to, to do. Awkward to do, but important to do. Yeah, love it. Some really good stuff there, all about the hands. Another section she talk, goes on to talk about is all about arm signals. She says, from a very early age, we hide behind barriers to protect ourselves. So, you might hide behind a tree, a chair, or any, any way when you're feeling that little bit vulnerable um, to feel that a little bit more secure uh, hiding behind something. But then as we get older, we become more self-conscious. And obviously, if you're starting to get scared in a meeting, you're not going to run behind a fucking <laughs> chair or something, are you? So, what we, do, we actually, what we do is we actually start using our arms 
as what the the chairs and stuff were as we're older. So it's kind of like the barrier in front of you. You might cross your arms or uh, do different things with your arms as the barrier between you and whatever situation you might find yourself in. Yeah, pretty much whenever your arm comes across in front of your body, subconsciously you're using it as a bit of a barrier for either an awkward situation or an uncomfortable situation. Some other examples of this include maybe uh, adjusting a watch or playing with some jewelry or fiddling with your cufflinks or sleeves or gripping or holding like a purse or a handbag in front of you as a bit of a barrier. Or if you're at a party, maybe holding a, a glass of water or a bottle of beer or a coffee cup in front of you. They're all, these are all acting as these subconscious barriers to the awkwardness that we're feeling. So there's a bit more detail you can go into when you say you've got your arm crossed, which is probably the most classic one what people do when they're... Um, I'm doing it right now, actually. Yeah, Don't you're know very why. closed off. Man, you got your fists <laughs> closed as well or something. Yeah, what's that, mate? Oh, oh hostility. Fist, we, we got it here. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Righto. Anyway, I had to say my arms crossed with it. <laughs> Apparently, it's hostility. So, yeah, fist clench. If your arms crossed with fist clench, hostility. If you're just gripping your arms, like self-hugging, it means you're feeling really insecure. Or if you've got your chest grip where it's really tight with your hands tucked under your underarms with your thumbs sticking out, it means you're defensive but you're really trying not to show it and you're trying to act and uh, act and really cool and relaxed when yeah. you're really not. Yeah, exactly. So, these are things that we all do all the time in these situations. We generally don't notice that our arms are crossed in front of us and to some extent, we're either you know, clenching our fists or gripping our arms or gripping our chest. We're really feeling uncomfortable and defensive and closed off in these situations. So, it's important to begin to become cognizant of your own body language and also, obviously, recognizing in other people what they're doing as well. And if someone's closed off and you're closed off, if you're both closed off, you need to start to work out how can you open mm. each other up to... Obviously, if you're both cross-armed, you're not going to have the best conversation. So, you need to open up somehow. One thing people might say at this stage is like, you know, I'm just crossing my arms because I feel comfortable. Yeah. But what she's saying is any gesture will feel comfortable when you have the corresponding attitude. If you're feeling yeah. nervous, the most uh, comfortable uh, posture will be the nervous posture. But at the same time, if you're having fun with friends, crossing your arms will just feel wrong. Mm. Yeah, exactly. As you said, we do what feels comfortable because that's what we're feeling at the time. If you're you're leaning back in your chair and you're sitting with your arms crossed in front of you, you probably are feeling defensive and closed off and that feels natural at the time. That's why it does feel comfortable. But you definitely got to realize that you are closed off. I'd say this is the case for all the body language thing Mm. you're getting into right now as well. As we said, you you really can't fake it. One uh, solution they say, is to try to get somebody to open up. And so, we've been to a lot of seminars uh, where sometimes people talk shit like about the foreign exchange trading that we talked about last week. Uh, and generally, if you're sitting back, you're leaning back with your arms crossed and a bit of a frown on your face, the speaker's going to know that you are not open to whatever they're selling right now. So, one thing that they try to do is they say, oh, write this down. And they give a bit of a pause. Everyone gets out their stuff. So, it forces you to then unclench your arms, pick up the paper and pen and start to write something down so you really opened up then then they can drop in a few seeds into you then when you open absolutely and a little bit of uh, commitment consistency i think then if you think back to the influence book i mean if you start writing it down there's that little bit of a foot in the door commitment mm. so you're starting to buy into order the bullshit there uh bullshit six grand forex <laughs> course they're selling you the other thing is uh you can give somebody something to hold like give them a pen or a book or a brochure or a sample or uh give them a some kind of drink whatever you're doing to if they have to then grab something off you then obviously you have to release your your arm clench a bit yeah so good stuff from barbara the next section she goes on about is uh evaluation and deceit signal so again these are the, the things that people do when they're lying yeah if you're, if, you're, uh, if a woman ever asks you 
uh, does this dress make me look fat? You've got a very important decision to make right now. Well, you do. <laughs> do, you, do you tell the truth or uh, do you sell, tell them something that they want to hear? Mm, don't know. <laughs> I think if you're a bloke, you know what's, what's good for you definitely because uh, if you say the wrong thing in the wrong way, you could end up single, possibly in hospital with a busted nose. Yeah, absolutely. Telling the, telling the truth isn't always the best option as, as you just pointed out there. So, what we do is we tell white lies like cheeky little lies that really greases our interaction with others and you know maintain friendly social relationships so you're not just going out there um as you said just telling your girlfriend she's fat which (laughs) isn't a good idea definitely never a good idea but as we said you our body often says something different to what our, our 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 words are saying and so when we are telling these white lies or if somebody's telling a lie to us there are a few telltale signs that we do with our bodies that can give us away. Mm, so, if there's any women listening, maybe if, you wanna, if you've asked this question before and haven't been happy with the answer, <laughs> we're going to give you the telltale signs. If your boyfriend says something, but if they do one of these gestures, it means they think the opposite. So, you can really see through these lies. Mm. One of the biggest ones is the, the mouth cover. So, if there's generally is when kids are telling lies, they'll give a big two, two hands over the front of their mouth and you can pick it up straight away. But as we're adults and we realize people are doing this, we try to reduce this as much as possible. But subconsciously, our brain is still trying to suppress whatever deceitful words mm-hmm. that we're trying to say here. And it's probably not, you're never going to put your hands in front of your mouth and say something because it's ridiculous. But it might be just like a single finger reaches up in front of your mouth or you scratch the corner of your mouth because uh, it feels a little bit dry. But really what it's doing, your brain is saying, you're talking shit here, I need to try and block it somehow. And that's why the hand yeah. comes in front of the mouth. Yeah. So, as an adult, having the hand over the mouth, it's kind of just them telling themselves, they're saying something they're not really feeling. And this is something I personally do a lot when... Uh, we talked about Robert Greene's, you know, um, see-through people's masks. There's some circumstances where you've got some kind of mask on and you're not being 100% authentic. When I'm in those situations where I'm not being who I am and I am putting on a little bit of a mask, I've noticed I uh, do put my hand over my mouth and speak in, in that situation, mm. which is uh, really interesting. Yeah, it really is probably that subconsciously you've, you've got your mask on and sort of you're obviously not in full congruence what you're feeling and what you're saying. Uh, another one is like the nose touch as well. So, this is sort of called the Pinocchio effect. So, obviously, mm. Pinocchio, when Pinocchio tells a lie, his nose grows. Apparently, there was some MRI studies that showed that blood flow actually did increase in the nose when you told a lie. So, that's maybe a nose gets a bit itchy or it literally like increases in size due to the blood flow and then maybe give your nose a little bit of a scratch. Mm. That's really interesting because it's not immediately obvious why your nose is itchy. Mm. So, it could be... One of these could be the big causes. Uh, another one uh, which shows that you're full of shit is the eye rub. Yeah, another one. It's sort of like, again, we're sort of like almost trying to block ourselves from seeing this evil that we've just brought into the world with this lie or this deceit. Some of the other ones is like uh, grabbing the ear, scratching the neck, tugging on your collar to release a bit of the uh, the temperature and pressure building up from telling a lie. There's a, they're all things that we never really realize we're doing. But if you're lying, you're probably going to do these. And if somebody else is telling you something and you notice, they, you know, they cover their mouth, they scratch their nose, they rub their neck. Uh, have a think, are they telling you the truth or maybe is there something subconsciously slipping out in their body language here? Mm, that's really, really valuable stuff. I think, to, uh, uh, I think the, the, this chapter alone is worth reading and buying mm. the book to just knowing when uh, you're lying or other people are lying. Actually, you probably know when you're lying. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you that back. Um, <laughs> 
The next part of the book she goes on about is eye signals. So when you first encounter with someone, it, it is hard to really, I struggle with this sometimes, hard to know how much you need to be looking at them. Mm. I mean, as we grow up, we're always sold, I was sold anyway, always look them in the eye and I had a period where I was just 100% staring at them through the eyes like I am now to you. <laughs> and it does get a little bit awkward and uncomfortable. So uh, in most cultures, she says, to build a good rapport with another person, you should be gazing actually about only 60 to 70% mm. of the time directly at, at them. Yeah, you can't. If you're going 100% and you're both constantly staring into each other's eyes, it can get uncomfortable. You need that little bit of a rest, bit of a break to look away so you're not always looking at them. But if you're looking at them less than half of the time, it just feels uncomfortable. If you're probably just nervous or timid, but what the other person feels is there's some kind of deceit here or we're not, we're not connected here. If you're looking at them less than half of the time, you're really not building a good relationship with this person. Mm. And as you'd imagine, the person who looks at the other person that little bit longer, is, it is a little bit of a subtle power move. They're in the power position and the other person is a little bit more subordinate. Yeah, generally, if you're, if you're ever first meeting someone, the first person to look away is the, uh, is the less powerful of the, of the two uh, it's definitely something that, that I still struggle with as well is the eye contact, uh, trying to get the right amount of eye contact. Mm. So she's got some really practical advice for something that we all have to deal with at some stage in our lives and that's uh, the first 20 seconds of an interview. Obviously, mm. first impressions are absolutely massive. So she's got some, some of the, the body language things you can do when you, when you first walk in the room. Yeah, interestingly enough, we often think that, as we said, you know, the more powerful person holds the gaze longer and we think when we first meet someone, we shake hands, we look at them in the eye and we should hold as much eye contact as possible and that's what we're sort of taught and that's what we practice and that's what we do but what Barbara says is whenever you're meeting someone for the first time, we actually want to give them a bit of a once-over, look at their whole presentation, like look at their hair, look at their face, look at their body, look at their um, clothes, their full presentation, what are they doing? And if you're staring at someone directly in the eye to hold that good eye contact, they never get a chance to sneak that little cheeky two to three second glance to give it a full first impression. So what she says you should actually do is obviously meet them, give a good handshake, give good eye contact, but then give them sort of like a three to four second window to allow them to give you the once over. Obviously, you're going to be very well presented. So you want them to do this and get a good first impression of you. So Mm -hmm. some things that you can do is either, you know, shuffle a few papers on your desk or reach over and grab something out of your bag or take your jacket off or look down, uh, shuffle your chair. So this moment where you can sort of give them five seconds where you're not giving them full eye contact at the start so that they can sort of give you a bit of a look over and then reestablish that eye contact again. It's an interesting one. It's one we definitely don't hear uh, recommended to us. But I think it is, it's very true that you do want to give someone a full look over to get that first impression. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's, uh, that's the case of an interview. She also talks about at a bar. So if you're at a bar and you know to the opposite sex or the same sex are trying to attract each other, traditionally a lot of people think the uh, traditional masculine would be the one who makes the first move on the female uh, to, in the first interaction. But what she says actually, what actually happens is the, the female actually makes the first move by a quick gaze to the male. And a lot of the time, the male isn't very uh, perceptive enough to understand what's actually going on. But this is the first signal that, that, that happens and it's through the, the woman looking with the eyes for about three seconds. Yeah, stereotypically, as, as you said, the, the masculine figure is the one who makes the first physical move and is the one that you know, maybe walks over to a group of girls and uh, tries to say g'day. But really, they only do that 
basically blokes are real pussies and it's it's scary and intimidating to do something like this. So we generally go up, up to someone we think we've got a shot with and that's by someone catching our gaze mm. and giving us a couple of seconds of sustained eye contact and looking away. But as you say, men are sometimes a bit thick and it maybe takes two or three goes before they muster up the courage to go over there. Uh, but generally, you know, if, if, a, if a bloke catches a woman's eye contact for a couple of seconds, mm. they're probably going to be looking over there a lot to try and catch that second or third bout of eye contact before yeah. they go over. Yeah, it's absolutely huge. When I've been out with some of my female friends uh, and they're attracted to a male, that's exactly what will happen. They'll look at him, they'll look at him and then after a while, the, all of a sudden, the masculine, the male comes over and thinks he's the big dog doing the first move. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> all happened a long time ago, mate. <laughs> I like it. Another section she talks about is building rapport through mirroring. So, generally, when we first meet someone, we're observing their body language, we're observing their um, facial uh, interactions, we're observe, observing any gestures that they're making and if they're doing the same thing as us, we sort of get this, this feeling that, okay, this person's the same as me. They've got the same ideas as me. They're sharing the same attitudes as me. We're building a rapport by acting the same as somebody else with our body language. So, it's a way of saying, yeah, we share the same attitude. And scientists have interestingly showed that it's actually, the, the desire to mirror is actually something that's hardwired in our brains because positive cooperation with other cavemen back in the day and even today has obviously been a huge thing to actually um, you know, pass on your genes in the, in the gene pool. Yeah, like sort of building that community. You can work together. Then, you know, cooperatively, you can get some more food. You can get better health. You can look after each mm. other or some kind of growth of the, the tribe or the community. Mm, yeah, it's really interesting. The first time I saw this uh, or heard about this idea of mirroring, if you go to a cafe and or anywhere in, in the street, just look at people, how they're interacting. If they're both hunched forward, speaking in the same tone, you know they're really engaged and, and connected to each other. But if someone's leaning forward, someone's all the way back and someone's speaking really fast and someone, the yeah. other person's slow, they're really not in congruence. And both of those people would say, you know, they'd probably say about the other person, oh, there's just something weird about them. I didn't mm. really get on with them. It just means they weren't in rapport. So, with this knowledge, you can actually uh, deliberately get in rapport with the other person. So, say if you're a boss and you've got a new employee on their first day and they're absolutely shitting themselves, you might actually try and match and mirror them just so they can feel um, you know, that you're on the same level and the same wavelength. But again, on the opposite end of the spectrum, if you're an employee on your first day and the boss is doing a power move, let them take the powerful yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and don't try and build rapport that way because they're deliberately wanting to feel superior. Yeah, it's a bit of this uh, idea of pacing and leading that you want to match what the other person's doing and then you can start to lead them to do what you're doing as well. And so, some of the things we can do to mirror the other person, sort of in our speech, we can speak at the same tone but also the same pace. So, if they're speaking really fast, try to lift to them or if they're speaking a lot slower, then don't speak too fast as well. Also, the vocabulary that you use, if, uh, if you're trying to use really sophisticated uh, vocabulary and they're using simple language definitely match to them because if you're trying to use these big fancy words you're just going to think you're a dickhead uh, but also the body language as well the posture the way you're sitting some of the gestures you're making these are all important things for building rapport with someone so they feel like you're on the same wavelength and then you feel like you're both sharing the same ideas and attitudes so it's a really important book man as we said at the start of this episode uh, one of the studies showed that of all our communication, only 7% is verbal in the words we use. So, there's a whole different realm of communication that happens unconsciously through the body language. So, reading through this, it really opens your eyes to, um, you know, how what people are really communicating uh, behind their words they're using. Yeah, it is things that we 
often do get this intuitive gut feeling that something wasn't quite right. So I think reading a book like this really opens your eyes to, it is basically a whole different language. You know, the different types of things people do with their hands, the things people do with their arms, the things people do when they're in sync or out of sync. Uh, It really is a whole different language that we should learn because I think it is important, as you say, man, only 7% of our communication is the actual words we use and the rest is how we say it and how we use our body when we're saying it as well. Yeah, and uh, we'll see how we go at the next family dinner. (laughs) (laughs) I'm keen to see how the next handshake goes. (laughs) 